Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to this program. Please stay with us for the whole hour. Uh, we have something prepared, which I believe you'll really enjoy and appreciate. We are going to talk about uh, waiting in the crucible. And we are talking for a number of weeks over this topic in the crucible with Christ. And it's very important to be able to wait patiently for the Lord, for God. I'd like to introduce our panel for today. Joe, it's good to have you back with us. Yes, thank you, Nick. It's great to be back and I've missed you guys. Jerry, it's good to have you joining too. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. And we missed you too, Joe. Will, thank you for being part of this program. It's always a blessing. Thank you, Nick. Brenton. It's good to have you joining from the southeast, a beautiful part of the country here in the hey, South Thank Australia. you, Nick. Grey, gloomy and overcast. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> Looking forward to the study. Len, thank you for joining us. It's our privilege to have you today, as you are also facilitating. And thank you for um, preparing this uh, Bible study. Well, I always like to thank you for your welcome, Nick, and hello, listeners. Len, I would like to just ask you to please uh, take us through the uh, discussion to this Bible study which we have for today. Yes, listeners, do you remember Sports Day? The one day of the year when at school classes were suspended and all the children participated in sporting events such as running races, novelty races like the sack race and the three-legged race. And then there were the team events, such as tunnel ball and relays. In my primary school years, at one of our sports days, a new race was introduced. It was called the five-minute race. All the children, young and old, lined up on a starting line, and whoever crossed the finish line closest to five minutes was the winner. On the whistle to start, most of the kids eagerly bounded ahead, except two, Colleen, a girl about two years my senior, and me. We dawdled towards the finish line, sometimes stopping. Within me, I felt an urge to hurry up and get it finished. But we both realised the need to wait, as this was a race of time, not speed. As it was, we both stepped over the line together and were joint winners. Waiting involves courage, patience and self-discipline. In our modern world where we have instant coffee, instant loans and instant news, as Christians we must endure waiting to reach worthwhile goals. Today we'll examine waiting, which is really delayed gratification, from a biblical point of view. And we hope you will be helped and encouraged by what we share with you today. But before we begin this uh, panel discussion, it would be nice if we could all bow our heads together and Brenton is going to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Len. Father in heaven, what can we say other than that your timing is always perfect? It's not a minute too late. It's not a minute too soon. 
What we're about to study in our study today, Lord, uh, concerns the greatest gift ever given to this world, the coming of Jesus Christ on time, and also some of the people in the Bible who did not uh, find it in their in their makeup to be able to wait as you would have us to do. Lord, help us to learn through our study today the importance of waiting upon you, what it means and how we can apply it to our lives so that our lives may ultimately honour you in everything. And that's the desire of our hearts today, Lord, to honour you. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brenton. Jerry, the Apostle Paul gave some advice to Christians Romans 15 verses 4 and 5. Can you just explain or read the verses first and explain what it means to you? Yes, thanks, Lynn. From uh, the New King James Version uh, in verse 4, chapter 15, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And verse 5 reads, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. If you look at those concepts of endurance uh, and uh, patience, uh, perhaps if I can give an illustration in a general sense of endurance, which uh, could be defined as the capacity or ability to keep going, through very difficult and unpleasant circumstances without capitulating, without giving up. Say, for example, a marathon runner who runs his race, he's prepared for it, and uh, suddenly the weather conditions change and uh, a strong wind comes. Not a tailwind, but a headwind. So imagine that that must sap your energy. But he keeps going, he has to keep going because he has the, the finish line in sight, endurance in that sense, to keep going, keep going when the, when it gets really tough. In a spiritual sense, we look at these verses again, um, and I'm reminded of the, the list that we find in Hebrews chapter 11 of all the people that, uh, in the Old Testament, we would say, have under extreme difficulties and hardship kept going, maintain their faith. And, um, and that must give us comfort as well when we look back and see how these people ran their race and maintained their grip, if you like. They never gave up. I'm reminded also of a verse in, in Revelation uh, where it says, here is the patience or endurance, if you like, of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So, you know, we can draw comfort from the experiences of others who've gone before us and have overcome and uh, and kept their eyes on Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's how I understand it. Yes, I really like what you said there, Jerry. Never give up. Yes. Um, you don't get a prize for starting a race. You get the prize for ending the race, finishing yeah. the race. Yeah. And so um, that's good advice. Never give up. Well, there are two statements in the book of Psalms that say much the same things. And what, what do these say? And uh, what's the key, the key line in those verses there? Nick, would you like to share on that? 
Sure, Len. I will start with um, one in uh, chapter 27 and verse 14, which says, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And the next one, it's in uh, Psalms 37, and that's in uh, verse 7. It's one of my favorite uh, verse, actually, in the Bible. And it says this, Be still in the presence of the Lord, and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. What I like on this uh, uh, passage, Len and panel, is that God is inviting us to wait, wait patiently for him to act and to do the things which he knows that we need. Don't rush in things. Don't plan things just in our own way, humanly way, because we can make big mistakes. But if we rely on God, if we trust on God, he will do all things for our good, even if though sometimes may look like that this is not going towards good things in our life, but because God knows better, how important is to wait patiently for him. In other translation, actually verse 7, it says also, be silent before the Lord, wait patiently for him. What I believe, uh, Len, as we talk today to wait patiently, you know, in the crucible, is that we are going through some difficult times in life, and particularly this world is going, you know, in a very, very crazy direction right now. And we need to have that faith in God that He's in control, even all of all this situation. And yet, that's that's what I take from these passages in uh, in Psalms, Len. Yes, very good. Thank you, Nick. In fact, uh, it really applies in two ways. Maybe some of us have um, presented a request to the Lord. It's important for us to wait for the Lord to answer that. And sometimes we haven't presented anything at all, but the Lord will bring about good uh, circumstances and answer us before we even ask something. Yes, Brenton, you would like to add? Yeah, just just a couple of thoughts, Len. Um, the first one is if if we're waiting... There has to be an expectation that what we have, as you said, asked for will be received. Um, the second one, and I think it's equally important, actually, in waiting on the Lord, the answer you get is not always the answer you were expecting. You have to be able to understand. You have to have spiritual, as it were, insight to understand that God has answered my prayer, but he hasn't answered it necessarily in the way that I thought, but I can still see God's leading. And that actually strengthens you for the next time when you ask God. You may get the exact answer you're wanting. On the other hand, you may get an answer that's different. But you can see God's leading. And I think it's the seeing God's leading that helps us to learn to wait more effectively. This is all good advice. Now, Will, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5, God has something to say there, or the Apostle Paul has something to say there to us as Christians. Would you like to read that and then just explain? Yes, it gives the answer to what does it mean to wait for the Lord. And I believe that it's uh, 
the answer here is that God is his own time. You know, things don't always go well for us. Challenging times and fiery crucibles or tribulations sometimes have a way of eroding our hope and courage, sometimes because, simply because they are difficult to endure, especially over a long period, Len, like prolonged illness or disability. And in these circumstances, God is our only sure support. And strangely enough, the spiritual life actually benefits from these confrontations. I can hear someone ask, what? Pain brings gain? Well, let's listen to what the Apostle Paul says about waiting on the Lord and how he has a wonderful way of turning a thorn, a thorn in the spirit into a blessing. He says in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So waiting has its benefits, and God allows us to wait patiently to see uh, his outcome in his own time. Yes, and for a Christian, this is very important. And I believe that there are millions and millions and millions of Christians who've preceded us in past times who waited, some who never achieved uh, what they were hoping to have, but nevertheless, God will bless them anyhow. Now, Jerry, there's a very beautiful statement that I would like you to share with our audience today. Yes, uh, Leonard says here, while we wait, we can concentrate on one of two things. We can focus on the things that we are waiting for, or we can focus on the one who holds those things in his hands. What makes such a difference when we wait for something isn't so much how long we have to wait, but our attitude while we wait. If we trust the Lord, if we have placed our lives in his hands, if we have surrendered our wills to him, then we can trust that he will do what's best for us when it's best for us, no matter how hard it is sometimes to believe. Yes, thank you, Jerry. I recall a time when I was involved in opal mining. And you know, I prayed on quite a few occasions, Lord, might I find some opal today? Well, I had to wait and wait and wait. And I never did strike it rich, but I think it was actually an enrichment of my experience with the Lord because I put my trust in him. He saw fit that I shouldn't become extremely wealthy through this. And uh, I'm kind of glad in a way. Yes, Jerry, I think you've been involved in opal mining too, haven't you? Well, I have. I won't unpack it too much, but can I just say this, Len, that um, I too went searching for opals found none, but it was there that I found Jesus. You found something of greater value than the opal you were looking for. Of greater, far greater value, and it turned yes. my life around completely. That's wonderful. Joe, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, what would you say here about God's timing 
compared to human timing. Very interesting. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours or your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As he compares us to himself, if you like, and he's saying just as there's a chasm between where, who I am and where you are, my thoughts and your thoughts, my plans and your plans, we want things quickly and now God has the bigger picture in mind. And so in view of these texts, it tells us that God has a thousand ways of dealing with our worrying situation that we cannot even imagine because he doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't act the way we do. And for that, we are very thankful or should be thankful for. He is constant and faithful and his timing is always perfect. As others have said, Brenton among them, God is never surprised or alarmed by something because he knows all things. His purposes know no rush nor delay. All will happen at the right time. He has the situation in hand. Thank you, Joe. Well, we're now going to look at a verse in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, which talks about God's timing. Will, would you like to share this with us? Yes, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Through the centuries, ever since the promise was made to Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, verse 15, of a saviour who would come and crush the head of the serpent, people have asked, when, Lord, when? And the long-for long day of salvation seemed elusive. The waiting continued until the many prophecies of the coming of the Redeemer were fulfilled, prophecies like uh, those in Daniel, chapter 9. You know, the absolute relevance and accuracy of these prophecies are illustrated by the people who anticipated the exact time of his arrival, like the wise men of the East, who came inquiring about where the Messiah was to be born. Also the account of Anna and Simeon at the temple, both expecting the Savior. They were both, both deeply relieved that the time of waiting was over. You know, interestingly, when the, the Magi arrived in Matthew chapter 2, the scholars in Israel actually directed their attention to Bethlehem. So they understood it as the prophesied uh, Messiah's birthplace. Well, God's timing was perfect after a long waiting time. And it's the waiting time that shakes our faith, I believe. It's a pity so many have given up, given up on the anticipation, though. And I believe will again today stop looking out for the second coming of Jesus. In fact, Second Peter chapter 3 actually tells us of people scoffing. They will say, where is this coming that he has promised? Ever since our ancestor died, ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But of course, verse 10 says that uh, those waiting on the Lord will not be disappointed. In fact, it says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. God has his timing. We must learn to wait. The arrival of Jesus came exactly on time. Now, 
various scholars have looked at social factors and pointed those out too, that the social factors at the time when Jesus came were ripe. Brenton, there's a whole lot of things. Would you like to quickly share some of these things with us? There is, Len. I'll try and make it as concise as possible, the first of the Cs. <laughs> they had a unifying language in the time that Jesus was born, which was the Greek language. They were under the control of Roman law, and Roman law was actually very, very fair. If you do any study on ancient Roman law, it was very fair to its citizens but also to those that it had subjugated in battle. It had a unifying system of trade, and, of course, the, we all know about the Roman um, network of roads, uh, some of which Jesus and Joseph and Mary would have used to escape from Herod on their way to Egypt. They would have used the coastal road. Paul and his companions presented the gospel by travelling on Roman roads. Um, another point that's really interesting over this period is the Pax Romana or the uh, Roman peace. This had been in place, Len, for roughly 200 years. There was roughly a 200-year period here where there had been, I'm not saying there wasn't any battles, but there wasn't any major wars or anything going on, which allowed the coming of the Messiah to take place in a time where they went um, busy fighting one another and splitting the Roman Empire in two. Philosophically, um, the ideas of Aristotle and Plato and these other guys, it had reached the point where people were spiritually exhausted. They were actually looking for something that would nourish the soul. They weren't receiving it through what uh, they had been worshipping up until this point in time. And so Christ coming to them, it was an absolute, uh, as it uh, the term used is rain falling on cracked and parched earth. How true that, that statement is. A couple of other statements is the Jewish wor world longed for a Messiah. The problem is the Jewish world weren't expecting the Messiah to come in the way that he was, despite what Will had said that they could have read in um, Daniel 9, 25 and 26. They could have read all of this and they would have recognised the time in which Christ was coming. In fact, when Herod, demanded of the priests and rulers, where is this king that's to be born, king of the Jews? They knew. They knew from the prophecy of Micah where he was to be born. However, when Christ himself came on the scene in Mark 1, 15 and 16, he said, the time is fulfilled. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. Now, the term kingdom of God means God himself has now come among us. Summarising all of those statements is, is interesting because a couple of points to me stand out very clearly. Christ came, and I'm going to quote this quote, the fullness of the time had come. Humanity had become so depraved through ages of transgression. It called for the coming of the Messiah. Satan had made the gulf so broad and deep that he had tried to actually alienate this world from God. Now, in earlier examples, Len, we had God coming in judgment at the flood. We had God coming in judgment at Sodom and Gomorrah. We had God threatening judgment in the time of Jonah if the Ninevites didn't repent. But here, where Satan had worked, it seemed, so successfully to alienate this human race from God, God sent his son not to judge the world, 
but to save the world. Yes. And I think the key point in all of these seven points or six points is he came at the right time. Humanity could not reach a lower level in depravity than it was at that time. And Christ came at just the right time, according to the councils of heaven. And he didn't just come. He said himself, I've not come to judge the world. I have come to save the world. And I think that's the, the vitally important point here. Yes. Well, now we're going to look at some Old Testament characters who had to wait, although they didn't expect to have to wait this amount of time. So, Joe, would you like to share with us uh, example number one? Okay. Example number one is about um, Saul and David. Now, here, Len, the Bible portrays two kings side by side, one impatient, one patient, one a disappointment to God, and the other faithful and humble waiting on God. And it's a very interesting comparison. Saul, the very first king of Israel, was on one occasion told to wait for Samuel the prophet to come and offer the sacrifice before engaging in in a battle with the Philistines. Now, they were greatly outnumbered, and the troops were getting shaky and spooked. And, well, Samuel took a long time to get there, in fact, too long. And Saul, the Bible says, weary of waiting, decides that it couldn't wait, and he did it himself, which showed impatience and great foolishness. It also showed that Saul didn't understand that the victory is God's, not his. And it didn't matter how many how many were fighting on the other side, God is the true captain of the host. Well, then we have the other the other occasions and you know where he did the similar sort of thing or disobeyed God directly, and God rejects him and has Samuel the prophet anoint David. There's a long story in that. He was considered the least of his brothers, being the youngest. Um, he was outside tending to sheep, and it wasn't until 15 years later that David became king, and in all that time he was very patient and humble. He trusted in God's timing and refused to cave into temptation to snatch the throne, a throne the crown rather, uh, prematurely. Uh, for much of that time, he was in fear of his life. And if we read um, portions of scripture dealing with this, he was on the run because of Saul's jealousy and hatred. There were opportunities where he could have killed Saul. In fact, those who were with him urged him to do so, offered to do it for him. And he might have even reasoned that he would be doing Israel and God a great favor. But each time he waited on God, he saw Saul as God's appointed. God's anointed and waited for God to deal with Saul in his time. And this is such an object lesson for us to be patient and to wait on God. We have here two kings side by side, one impatient, one patient, one a delight to God and one disappointment. All right. Thank you for that. Now, uh, let's have a look at example number two. Nick, would you like to share about example number two. Sure, Len. This is a wonderful example also because we are talking about uh, here about Abraham or later called Abraham, which is still regarded by many people, you know, the father of uh, faith. And um, we have the story here when God is talking to Abraham and uh, his name is changed, as I mentioned. 
But just, uh, and by the way, uh, dear listener, if you like to have a better look on this story, I'll invite you to open the Bible and read in uh, Genesis chapter 17. And then uh, we'll see in chapter 18 also something very special. And then in chapter 21, God is answering, you know, what uh, he promised to Abraham. But let me just uh, say a couple of things here. God was talking to Abraham and uh, promised him a lot of things, that he will be a great nation. And probably Abraham thought, okay, yes, that will be maybe through my uh, son uh, uh, Ishmael, which was uh, at that time. But then God said, hey, I want you to call Sarah. And during this time, God said, because through her, you'll have a seed. And you know what? It's interesting here that <laughs> Abraham just fall to the ground and laughed. And he laughed at God because he said, come on, God, how can a man at a hundred years old can still have feelings or happen to him that? You see the attitude of Abraham, one of the, the men who God chosen and, and he was following God to leave his country and his family and so on and so forth. Beautiful story. Please read this one. He laughed at God. But you know, God is also patient. God is not only asking for us to wait patient, patiently for him. He is patient with us too. He comes back to Abraham and you can read this in chapter 18. The second time, this time through heavenly beings, you know, angels. And when Abraham, Abraham saw them to welcome them, and they said the same thing. And the angels confirm to him that promise. And in verse 3, he said, Now, if I receive favor before you, Lord. You see, Abraham is changed here. He believes what God promised. If I found favor in your eyes, please don't go away from me. Come in, I would like to bring an offer. And I think this is beautiful because, you see, we can be even very harsh on ourselves and sometimes cut ourselves off from God because we look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm nobody. I'm this or that. I even Abraham could have said, Oh man, I, I didn't even believe what God promised me. But you know, he was thinking over it. He, then he took it at heart and he, he believed when God uh, revealed himself to him again. And I think this is the point which I like to, to capitalize here on this story and panel that uh, we need to think over things which God put in our mind through the Holy Spirit, you know, through our conscience and uh, contemplate over it and wait patiently because God will reveal the fullness of him, of himself to us when is the right, uh, the right time. And as I said, in verse, uh, in chapter 21, you can read actually, uh, the fulfillment of that promise when uh, Isaac was born. Good, thanks. David had to wait 15 years before he became the king of Israel. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for the promised heir. And let's look at example number three, who had to wait even longer. Jerry? Yes, uh, example number three talks about Noah and how long he had to wait. And it's quite an amazing story. We find that uh, in Genesis chapter 6, 
he had to wait 120 years for the promise to be fulfilled. Now, uh, when you look at that story, um, just to give some context, in verse 5 of chapter 6 in Genesis, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And um, it says much the same in verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth, earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So God has to intervene. And uh, he says to Noah, I want you to build an ark, and he gives him precise instructions. But um, you think about it, even though the people who lived before the flood lived much, much longer than we do now, it's still a long time to wait. But he faithfully uh, did what God told him to do, and um, he patiently endured. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and with the passing of time, he did exactly what God requ required of him. And it's interesting, too, to note that in uh, Jesus says, or makes reference to this as well in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 38. It says, For as in, in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In verse 37, in fact, it said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So there's a, Jesus validates what happened in Genesis chapter 6 uh, people often ask the question really did, did that really happen uh, did Noah really have to build this ark and did it really take 120 years before it was fulfilled but we can be assured that if God says that it will happen it will happen even if it takes a very long time mm. and 120 years is quite a long time to wait but it happened yes the flood did come and uh, no, I had to wait that long time. Yeah, Len, just quickly, I would like to add something what uh, yeah, Jed was sharing about this story. You know, we may think that uh, 120 years, that what God set a time for that. I would like to just suggest this, that if people will believe in uh, what um, Noah was asked to do, that could be achieved and done much quicker, probably, if, if they will really believe, they will put their efforts into it, and that could be achieved even much quicker than that. There's a text in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, which is a very encouraging text. Now, I've got an NIV Bible in front of me, but I think I can quote it from the King James. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings like eagles. They shall run and uh, not and grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Now, all of you are Christians, dedicated, faithful Christian people. Have you ever had a time when you had to wait on the Lord before something, perhaps the desire of your heart came about. I'm going to set the uh, scene rolling. My younger brother, who's five years younger than me, was married before me. 
I had more girlfriends than him, but uh, I had to wait. And I thought, well, am I going to end up a bachelor? But no, God had a plan. God had a plan for me. He set it in motion before I even prayed to him about the situation. And uh, 55 years later, um, we're still married. We're still much in love. So God had me to wait, and he had the perfect answer for my need. Now, maybe one of you have have got a, had a special experience where you waited on the Lord and he brought about what you needed. Anybody respond to that? Well, then uh, I had um, also quite a few stories to share, but what I want to say here, from a different angle, in my case, you know, sometimes we ask things to God. You know, or may God even prompt us that he will do this or that, as was the case with Abraham. For me, waiting was not something to keep a checklist there. I mean, to to see, is God going to answer on this or not? Is going God uh, going to answer on this or not? I just believed that what I desire, you know, God may give me. And after years, many years, God gave me pretty much everything what I was thinking of. Now, I will give you a very short uh, example. I always live motorbikes. And uh, I was not able to get one when, you know, I was younger. Um, and then I came to Australia and here are different uh, opportunities, okay? And still not getting a motorbike. I was contemplating some time, but that was not something to keep, you know, like a checklist to say, oh, when I will get that motorbike? And all of a sudden, somebody asked me, hey, do you like to be part of a motorcycle ministry? I said, that sounds very interesting, but I didn't have a motorbike. And uh, I said, um, well, that's interesting, but, you know, I think my wife will, wouldn't be happy for me to have a motorbike now because we discussed some time about this and she was not happy. To, she even mentioned, all right, if you want to buy a, moto, a motorbike, contemplate on divorce <laughs> and and i you know for me it was that's it, it was gone no motorbike and one day it came to me this uh, opportunity to get the motorbike and that gentleman who invited me to get the motorbike and be part of the ministry said oh, hey i find a motorbike for you okay now i pray to god and i said to god this we are going to see the motorbike, but if that price will be this, probably I will consider I will be happy. I, we went, we saw the motorbike, and the price was what I thought, you know, like uh, much less than the original. He he asked, and I got the motorbike. You know what? We were struggling at first with my wife, but after that, she was very happy for me to have the motorbike and use the motorbike in ministry. I thought that was something which God answered Many, many years, maybe mm -hmm. 40 years after I was thinking of. Uh, good, Nick. Joe? Okay, just very, very briefly. Uh, nothing specific, but there have been times um, in my life where things were beyond my control, and I think we can all relate to that, and very worrying. And when this has happened, I have I had prayed about it, 
um, and because that's all you can do at times, and left it with God and clearly forgotten about it. And that happens too until God comes through with an answer. And sometimes it takes a long time, but you find the situation is worked out, but not always in the way you expect it, but clearly it was God's doing. Mm. If you understand what I mean, it's um, you wait and you watch and then you see how God has resolved the situation, not in the way you expect it, but you can see that God's hand was in it. Yes, that's very true, and I've had that many times too. Earlier, uh, Joe was explaining a little bit about David having the opportunity to uh, kill or at least to order to have the previous king, Saul, killed. But he wouldn't do it. He was unwilling to kill the Lord's anointed. Would you like to just tell of the occasion uh, where he had the perfect opportunity, in fact there were two, uh, when Saul was hunting David, and then explain how uh, Saul met his end. Will, could you do that? King Saul was jealous of David, uh, who was appointed by the Lord to be the next king, as we have heard. And Saul went out to kill David, and First Samuel 26 brings the two characters together, and it's an interesting confrontation. David is staying in the wilderness, and uh, he sees Saul, who came after him in the wilderness. And I want to just read a portion of First Samuel 26 from verse 5. David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the commander of his army. Now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. David said to Abimelech and uh, Ahimelech and uh, to Abishai, two of his servants, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? Abishai answered, I will go with you. So David and Abishai come to the people by night, and there Saul lies sleeping in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and all the people lay around him. Then Abishai, David's servant, says to him, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth. I will not have to strike him a second time. But David answers Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David continues, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him for his day shall come to die and he shall go out to battle and perish. Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. And so he had an opportunity, but he would wait on the Lord's timing. And we read a little further on in uh, in First Samuel chapter 31, that the Philistines fought hard against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. 
Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul and the archers hit him. And he was severely wounded by the archers. Being wounded, Paul turns to his armor bearer and says, draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And the Bible says, therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. He committed suicide. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together same day. God's timing was not that David would kill Saul, that Saul would commit suicide. Yes. So here David, for um, very ethical reasons, refused to have Saul killed, but Saul died without David doing anything. In um, the book of 1 Kings 17, there's a record of how God used Elijah in a mighty way to have the people return to worshipping the true God. And um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story to read. Okay, the, pro- the false prophets of Baal were killed and the people said, we will serve the Lord. After this, straight after this, in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 and 2, the then queen made a threat. What was the threat? Well, we're talking about a pagan queen here who, uh, you know, the expression, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, Hmm. let alone a, a pagan queen who's just had 850 of her best friends, if you like, uh, false prophets, um, killed in the contest. She wants him assassinated. She explodes in a fit of rage and anger. Uh, So she wants to deal with him quick, smart. And, uh, well. Okay. All right. Thank you. You've answered the question. She was going to have Elijah assassinated. Now, Joe, what was Elijah's reaction? Remember, this was a... A fantastic victory the day before, and um, Elijah acted in faith, trusting that God would do uh, what he promised, and he did. Now what was Elijah's reaction? Well, Elijah, uh, the Bible says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And it goes on that he gets to a point where he, he says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So he is brave and fearless, Elijah, afraid for his life and on the run from an angry queen. He's completely depleted, worn out, wishes he could die. Um, It had been, as has been mentioned, a victory for Israel's God and the prophets of Baal were dealt with. And yet Elijah took his eyes off God to look at the queen and in so doing lost his grip and his perspective in many ways similar to Peter looking away from Jesus and fixing his eyes on the storm around him. And we know how that ended. Elijah runs to not only the next town or even to the hills around, he goes on an epic journey of 40 days to Mount Horeb. 
His action was not desirable, not to my way of thinking. Um, this was a time of particular opportunity in the nation of Israel. The demonstration of the power of the true God was fresh in their minds, Israel's minds, Ahab's mind, and there was potential for genuine, real, long-term reform. And the moment was lost because Elijah had left the country, focusing on his own feelings and needs. But God, in all his long-suffering, is patient with his servant Elijah and sends him back with new orders. I've just really summarized the story here, but we see here that There's a knee-jerk reaction, eyes are taken off the real God, fears for his life, wastes an opportunity to bring in true reforms, long-term reforms, but God, he allows him to go on this epic um, journey, this odyssey to Mount Horeb, and um, he is still the prophet of the Lord. Okay, well, very eruditely explained. Yes, Elijah ran before God. In other words, he took took things into his own hands. There were other people who did that. Brenton, would you like to summarise a few of these other biblical characters who ran before God? Man, I can certainly do that. The first one is Sarai, who later became Sarah. As uh, has been stated, 25 years they waited for a son. Sometime during that period of time, Sarai lost patience and uh, proposed an idea to her husband, Abraham, of surrogacy. Now, it's interesting that Ishmael was born as a result of this. What's interesting about this story is, if you look at it from Sarai's point of view, it was bad enough in their culture to be barren, to unable to have children. There was an even deeper issue here. Um, It was considered that God's curse or God's frown was upon you. So you have that particular issue to deal with as well. Anyway, she um, made this proposition. Abram went ahead with it, and we've had trouble ever since. Um, Ishmael became the father of the Arabs, Isaac the father of the Jews, and we all know the story there. Moses, this is towards uh, the end of his time in the wilderness. He's weary. He's, he's um, God told him to speak to the rock. Instead of that, he struck the rock and he said, here now, ye rebels, must we fetch water for you from this rock? The end result of that land was that he was barred from entering the promised land. Then you have Samson. Now, Samson's an interesting guy. He was the strongest man who ever lived. Um, I would suggest morally he was probably one of the weakest men who ever lived. He came across this um, Philistine woman and said to his parents, get her for me. I want her. And ultimately, he ended up with a a woman who was a Philistine by the name of Delilah. She betrayed him and eventually he ended his own life. Judas is another one. Judas had all the plans in the world. Judas was an ideas man. If he was around today, he would be the man who would be giving everyone a vision of what uh, could be. And the end result of all of that was when he thought he'd organised a pretty good scheme in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ would have to actually um, release himself. Instead of that, he saw him going to his death. He couldn't take it and he committed suicide. Then you have Saul. Saul actually did a 180-degree turn. After uh, initially trying to eradicate the Christians on the road to Damascus, Christ himself confronted him 
and he became a Christian. Um, all of these are an example of what we can do if we wait on God. I think what your statement, Len, is a good one. Act in haste, repent at leisure. <laughs> all right, panel, we've been talking about waiting uh, on God's time. I want to ask you, what are you waiting for and how long have you waited? Len, I'm waiting for the Lord to return and each day I'm starting to become more and more uh, mindful of what it means to live forever and what it means to see Jesus face to face. I think in the Bible in Titus 2.13 it's called looking for the blessed hope. That's what I'm waiting for. Well, I'm waiting for the same thing. Anybody else? Perhaps one more respondent. I'm waiting for, uh, Len, the fulfilment of the promise in Revelation chapter 18, where it says in verse 2, or in verse 1 rather, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And uh, I understand that to mean that um, God in his great mercy wants all people to be saved, and he he will pour out his Holy Spirit in such a way that the, the beauty of the everlasting gospel is both proclaimed and preached and, and understood by the inhabitants of the earth before everything is wrapped up. Oh, thank you, Jerry. Well, listeners, we sometimes face the dilemma of either working out an issue according to our own knowledge and resources or leaving it to God. There are times when it is appropriate to work out certain issues ourselves. However, when we are unable to achieve what needs to be done and so hand the issue over to the Lord, then we leave it to him and trust him to work it out in his good time and according to his good pleasure. And this is the main thought we would like to leave with you today. Leave it to God. Sometimes the answer will be clear and obvious, sometimes not. But we have to trust and be patient and wait on the Lord. So to conclude today, we would like to have prayer. And Joe, would you like to close with prayer and remember our listeners? Dear Father, you are constant in your love. You are faithful and patient with us all. We, like many characters in the Bible, disappoint you at times, many times, and yet you gather us up and forgive us. Please help us to never forget that you are a loving God, but also help us to trust you more, to be patient and to wait on you, knowing that even when things look testing or grim, you will always come through for us. Waiting is not easy for us. Strengthen us. Be with each listener and panel member and help us to believe you are always there for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. This was a very interesting and uh, important uh, study to learn how to wait patiently for the Lord. I would like to say that uh, probably two important uh, words I will, I will remember after this. I mean, one is trust, trusting God that regardless of whatever goes on, he will fulfill his plan. Secondly, I would like to say accept. 
because we may be waiting for some things in our life to happen. We may have desires for even for this life, but that may never came true. And we need to accept that. But in terms of what God promised to us, that he will give us everlasting life, he will bring uh, the new world if you like, the, the, um, to live with him forever. We need to trust in him because that will be fulfilled. May God richly bless you. And we are inviting you to join us again next time when we are going to talk a little bit more what means to die like a seed. Until then, may God richly bless you. Continue to walk and trust in the footsteps of Jesus.